Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, the legendary Randy Erickson. Too weird to live, too rare to die. So today's guest, definitely one of those names that everybody knows, not just in the adventure race world, but a lot of other worlds, um, Mike Closure, multiple world champion in adventure racing, uh, mountain bike racing, and Rogaine which is a good story, which we'll get into a little later. Um, this one, you're not going to like the audio quality. Uh, Mike's a really busy guy, and my only chance to talk to him was uh, while he was in the airport waiting for a flight to go kiteboarding. So if you happen to be listening to this in an airport and uh, you hear some, some speakers overhead calling out flights, it's probably not you, but you might want to pay attention to it so and there was a little glitch in the middle so you'll get just a hint of uh, our famous elevator music uh, speaking of music our end music is uh, from death death die if you want to know more just go look it up because I don't even want to begin to explain it but it's really cool so um, I don't have a trail tale this week we're going to keep working at it eventually people are going to want to be on it because it'll make you rich and famous but except for the rich and the famous parts so um but we had a donation this week from uh thank you to michael hinterberg uh, for his donation to the podcast hey it all helps so um if you want to donate just uh email legendary randy erickson films at gmail.com in paypal and Give me everything that you got. So, uh, you know, oh, and just one person this week would go to iTunes and give me a review and a five star. That'd be great. And then all we need is one person per week. And eventually, like in 10 years, we'll have a whole bunch of them. So that would be cool. Uh, we're starting one more thing, you know, this global branding mission that I'm on. Um, Legendary 60-second reviews. They'll be uh, posted when the podcast goes up. Um, I th they'll be on the Explore, Live, Compete website to start with, and then you'll be able to find them other places, but there'll be links to that in the show notes. So um, I think that's everything for this week. So thank yeah, you for listening, and enjoy the podcast. I probably uh, called 25 times and then finally it went through. <laughs> so, wow. Maybe yeah, it was a so. I don't know. Yeah. Well I, well, I had to get some some credit, so who knows what the deal is. But, oh, maybe that so. was, maybe it took a little while for it to go in. Yeah, I mean, it showed up right away, but I suppose it does. So, hey, we're talking finally. <laughs> yeah, go figure, huh? Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, I've talked to Australia, you know, New Zealand, Portugal, and South Af South Africa, and here this one, you're 300 miles away, was the hardest one to get done. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's just going to be a good thing. So, um, so where are you headed for? Um, down to South Padre Island to. Um, see if I can learn how to figure out a new sport, at least for this week anyway. Yeah. Um, so, go down to visit an old friend of mine who's been down there for who the whole winter. Wanted, uh, wanted some companionship and, um, teach me how to kiteboard, so I kite surf. So that's what my, um, my objective is here for the next week. Sounds, sounds kind of like fun now that skiing's over, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It did just as well, though. The um, the list wise and the service wise anyway has. So well, cool. Um, 
So I suppose we should get into the adventure race part of this. When did when did you start adventure racing? Uh, well, it would have been 1997, would have been the first one. It was um, a qualifier out in Malibu, California for the Eco Challenge. Uh-huh. And I started uh, with a couple of the local guys, um, one being Billy Madison, who um, I raced uh, for oh, several years with on King Vale, and, and then also another good friend, um, Andre Bozell, who we actually won Morocco with, and then a rich good friend was also one of my teammates, and I think uh, she would have been Sarah Valentine as well. Which good friend is available Vail local. And then Sarah Valentine, of course. Yeah. So, um, so, so there were qualifiers back then? Is that? Yeah, back in the day, um, there were, um, gosh, well, that was the way Mark had it set up. Mark Burnett had it set up that yeah. you could do a qualification race to, to um, get a spot for the for the equal challenge at the time and then that was um that would have been something that you know he i think just did as a means of giving a few complimentary entries uh-huh. if i remember correctly it wasn't just a qualification for uh then it was also a means of getting an entry without having to pay the, the steep uh, entry fee price, if I remember that. It could be, I could be incorrect here. I mean, we still had to pay the price or the entry fee. We just had to just enable us to get a spot. I can't remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's what the World Series is doing now. You know, if you win a, win a qualifier, you get a, get three entries. So makes sense that they were doing yeah, that well, back then. I think, um, we also had a similar deal when we were, oh, uh, yeah, when we were racing to get into the world championships too, you know, I, I think. Yeah. Obviously, our team probably had the credentials to qualify without without the means of proving in an event, but I remember exactly that was how that was set up in the early days as well. Yeah. So, well, and how did that how did that first race go? Um, you know what? It was a real eye opener for us. We ended up, um, we ended up, uh, I think third. It was either second or third. And Rebecca Rush's team was was first, if I remember correctly. And we had kind of struggled through it a little bit in the, the late hours of the, the evening. But you know, generally speaking, we're a pretty solid team and you know, secured a spot. Mark Burnett had um, known who Sarah and I were from our cycling accomplishments, and so he was excited to see us participating in his event, which at that time um, was a real, um, I, I guess you might say, um, in the early stages of Mark's Eagle Challenge you know, popularity and growth of the, of the event itself. Oops, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay, so um, so kind of you guys were sort of the first uh, like marquee athletes to do to do. I mean, you, did you bring a little? You brought a little. Um, what am I trying to say? You brought you brought something to the race. Well, you know, for Sarah and myself, obviously the rest of my team, Billy Madison and Rich Goodman, I think we have a you know, they, they both raced with us there as well. And I was on their yeah. team, you know, Billy's team. He was kind of the, the proponent behind it all. Um, yeah. For me, you know, I came from cycling, so I I didn't really have the the background in the multi-sport um, world like like some of these um, these guys did who were in adventure racing for years, you know, the John Howard, the Ian Adamson's, the, yeah. the John Jacobi's and these guys who, you know, had backgrounds in Ironman and, and other multi-sport events around the world. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, you you brought, I mean, you, that was after you won your world championship, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd won yeah. the mountain biking world championship at, at Sarah. 
Uh, we both won in 88. I think Sarah might have yeah. won in 89 as well. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's a little star power, let's say. <laughs> it doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the sport of mountain biking itself, you know, is, is a pretty tough sport. And on an international level, um, I think we could justifiably say we were, you know, racing at an elite level, at least in that sport. Yeah. And it's transferred over into, you know, racing at a high level and adventure racing. Yeah. So you kind of sort of rode two waves of two different sports, you know, because you, you were in early in mountain biking and went to the top level and then you in pretty early in adventure racing. Yeah, I was actually pretty fortunate in both of those sports to kind of reach or to be involved and um, compete at a high level in both of the sports when they're really at the pinnacle of their yeah. of their time. Not to say that adventure racing can't um, reach that kind of level of popularity again on a global um, a global scene, but it's it certainly you know if we look back, it was definitely the the big ones that were in there at the time. It was the Eco Challenge, Ray Galaz, Promo uh, Class, uh, the Mile Seven, all those type of events were were there for us to, to participate in. And now it's it's kind of, uh, I guess you might say, um, streamlined and become more of a you know a, a international event or uh, sport mm-hmm. with the World Series yeah. and then the World Championships, which is it's great for the sport to see that kind of collaboration from you know organizers and participants from around the globe race at a world world level like that yeah i mean it looks to me from you know being around it the last few years that it is a a resurgence you know i don't know if it'll ever get back to being on primetime tv but then again primetime tv isn't that big a deal anymore so but uh, not not like it used to be but i think yeah you know if, if somebody like you know a big big sponsor, a big network decided we really want to see this come back, or a promoter, be it a yeah. that or something like that. We want to see a rebirth of this on a global, globally viewed, um, or from a globally viewed perspective. I think that could happen. I honestly do. When you look at yeah. reality television out there, there's a lot of really bad programs out there. It's just, <laughs> yes, there it's, is. Just, it's just that everybody's trying to get in the game and they're, they're dreaming up anything and everything they can, you know, from yeah. naked, what is it? Naked and uh, afraid. Naked and Yeah. You know, the survivor's still going strong. I don't know if it's as strong as it was back in the you know, early days, but it's a, um, yeah. it's an interesting, uh, you know, market, the whole industry or the whole television, um, reality programming and so I think back and you know I was watching some of the old Eco Challenge footage that I think it was what he, excuse me Nathan had uh, forwarded on on Facebook about uh-huh. when we won in, uh, in uh, New Zealand and they were back out uh, with the Vengeance the, the next year in Fiji and uh, you know you look at some of that footage and it's it's captivating you know the way Mark put it together I, I think the viewers uh, viewers uh, are the you know typical um yeah armchair athlete yeah armchair athletes exactly and and those those that are all interested in the reality television might really grasp onto it and say this is you know this was the roots of reality television in a way yeah it really was i i think the big splash if somebody makes it is it it needs to be covered live 24 7 a race because what and what I've discovered from you know shooting races and stuff is nobody cares afterwards, but um, live coverage people love. You know, and well, I don't think technology. Yeah, technology is maybe not quite there yet. Well, it is if you got the money, but yeah, you know, I mean, you it's could you can have a twenty four hour channel. Yeah, that's the just beauty covering of a an race adventure like race. This, uh, to 
excuse me for interrupting you there. As I say, that's the beauty of a race like this. When I, when we were doing these multi-day races, you know, five, six, seven-day races, uh, all the family and friends and the the uh, supporters were all on the internet, you know, 24/7, just following the event, seeing what was happening, and um, seeing it evolve over the course of the race, not post-event tape fabricated, but. You know, the general viewer, that's great, you know, because they want to see yeah. things condensed a little bit. But the population that's really in, into the sports and uh, things of this nature, I think that's the, the great thing of social media and the Internet now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's and that's what I'm I'm finding is, is, yeah, they want that immediate, you know, the tracking twitter updates and and so that's what we need to give to them so but and i'm sure I the technology is there you know you could be yeah. tweeting while you're racing yeah, you know, yeah pictures and depending upon where it is and what they have for um that type of connection to be able to do yeah. so but yeah. yeah of course then you get a race when you know something isn't you don't have good uh coverage and you know you just literally don't have any internet then People just complain about it all day. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, it would take yeah. it would take some doing to do it right. But yeah. you know, if you get a a major network or somebody behind it, I'm sure that they could make it work. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what was what was the first race that you guys won? Um, for me, it was you know obviously I was on a you know, a variety of teams over the years that formations of what was my initial roots, you know, with Team Vale and so forth. But uh, as for Team Vale, it was the the Eco Challenge in Morocco, which was our second Eco Challenge that we participated in after, you know, what I consider to be a complete flop um, for me in Argentina, Australia. It was just such a huge learning curve, you know went into this thing, uh -huh. you know, with high expectations in Australia thinking, you know, we can contend with these guys. And, you know, we just, uh, maybe we're not the best at this or that, but we're strong and we have the desire, but <laughs> there was so much to learn. And I think we did a good yeah. job at, uh, at that, you know, the whole process of, um, you know, learning from our mistakes the year before in Australia and, and training appropriately and, and going into that event with you know, as much preparation and knowledge of what we were up against and and making sure we didn't, uh, you know, eat the foods that were local, knowing that we could potentially get the six million foods uh, in Morocco and, and struggle with that during the race. And I think that was the demise of a number of teams. And, and for us, it was um, probably one of the little... Um, you know, yeah. uh, you know, one of the biggest things that attributed to our success was staying healthy throughout the race and, and really being prepared and racing a good, solid, smart race. Yeah. So when when you started, um, you know, they kind of talk about how John Howard, you know, came in and went fast and light, and before that it was kind of just slogging through the jungle. So was it was it in the racing? I call it the racing mode, you know, how things start, people just do them to finish, and then eventually it becomes a race. They start racing. So were you, was this right at the start of the racing, what I call the racing period? Um, yeah, you know, that first one, I, I remember Bill imagine I didn't participate in my uh, team captain for Kingdale. The first one he did was uh, British Columbia, and he said he called it kind of a glorified camping trip. You know, they were sleeping six hours a night, shopping, had tents and all that luxuries, you know. Granted, they weren't a real contender in the race, uh, whereas John Howard and these guys were. But when I got to, or when we as a team got to the start line in, in Australia and then quickly realized this is a whole different game than what Billy had been participating in the year prior, um, we had a, a, lot, a hard lesson to learn right straight out of the gates, but um, I think it, yeah, it truly was, I think, the beginning of of what we were to see, these races becoming faster and uh, 
you know, stronger teams, fitter teams, uh, coming from, you know, a variety of backgrounds. It, it uh, really did, it really did evolve quickly, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's my, my go-to analogy is the first year of the Leadville hundred mile mountain bike rate race. I don't think anybody broke nine hours, you know, and now they're in the, you know, at sub six now. So yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, pretty, pretty dang close anyway. So, but, um, so what was your favorite race? Do you have a favorite race? You know, yeah, I, I'm often asked, asked that obviously <laughs> uh, when it comes to being a, you know, big notable, you know, expedition type race, obviously a lot of those equal challenge events are, on the top of the list, but as for an all-time favorite, just fun, it, real adventure was, uh -huh. although it was a different format, was the, the race in the BVI, Expedition BVI. Okay. That one just yeah. had so much, you know, uh, real enjoyable scenery, uh, the disciplines, the format, you know, being a stage race to speak of, you know, where at night you'd stop and you're on the um, sailboat and you had the luxuries of the sailboat for accommodations and food and support, et cetera. That was really the most fun event I, I think I've ever done when it comes to adventure races. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, then the next question is, what what was the most miserable one you did? Might have to be one of the last uh, Last World Championships, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Spain was pretty tough, but probably um, Portugal. Okay. I was just emailing back uh, Fred and um, what's his, Alexandre. Um, they, they're looking to bring back uh, an event and help secure funds to pay, actually pay off some of it prize money that they never did pay out to our top, the top teams there but that one was a, you know really tough format really um brutal environment and, you know there's been a lot of brutal ones but that one and i think uh you know i suffered from you know probably day three on in that race Yeah. Okay. In Portugal, um, you said it was miserable. Were you sick or was it just racing? Yeah, it was, weather was a challenge. I was sick um, from, I, I don't know, I picked up something, I think, respiratory-wise there a little bit later on, if I remember right. Uh, we kind of, kind of tend to blend together a little bit over the years. Um, but anyway, you know, we pushed hard to try to make those cutoffs, um, yeah. as was stated that, you know, the top teams would make these and need bonus points, et cetera, trying to stay with the leaders or in the lead. And I think we paid the price later on for um, for doing so. And anyway, that one, when I look back, it's probably one of the proper races for us. Miserable um, yeah. in a lot of ways. But, you know, like I say, I think about, um, per se, Borneo. Um mm -hmm. Was, was a brutal event with the, the jungle and the, the heat, the leeches, you know, just uh, things of that nature was really, really miserable <laughs> at times. But, but, you know, that's kind of what makes the races what they are. You know, if they're all easy and you cruise right through them without any uh, difficulties, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have the same impact uh, as an athlete or, I think, the viewers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, it's, I always call it there's, there's hard and there's stupid hard. And I, I like hard stuff, but you know, a little bit of stupid hard is okay. Yeah. I heard that, um, I heard that the, uh, the race in Costa Rica was just punishing last year. I, um, I didn't ever really, I, I should say I never really found out what all happened to Nathan's team and all this, um, I did see some of the video footage of of the event, and oh my gosh, it, it did look punishing. It made me uh, yeah. kind of realize that I, I, maybe I wasn't missing so much out there. <laughs> well, it um, 
Well, here, I'll, I'll tell you. The best way is, actually, Nathan spent a lot of time talking about it on the podcast. I do it with him. But, and, and what it comes down to is they were kind of pressured into quitting. I mean, they had to make a quick decision. And, and looking back on it, I think he thinks it was the wrong decision. You know, if they'd have just taken a 24-hour break, they'd have, they'd have been okay. But, um, you know, it how, was... How would they have finished if they'd taken that break? Um, top three. So, wow. I mean, the, 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 you know, Thule, Seagate, and Adidas made it through the dark zone. So it was those three teams. But I, it was very interesting to, you know, to get his perspective. But, you know, that race was hard in... Some people just said it was stupid hard. It was like, well, they just put that paddling section in just to make it long. Well, their their goal was to go from border to border and coast to coast, and that's you know that's X amount of miles, and you just gotta that. So that's sure. how far you gotta go. <laughs> but yeah, well, and that's yeah. that's the kind of thing that you know having a, trying to achieve a goal like that can be difficult just to do, even if you aren't trying to make it hard. Yeah, 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 it's got to be certain. You know, and there's some people are not are say are, are not real happy with Ecuador this year because it's going to go up high. Well, their you know their race, their tagline is they're going from Amazon to ocean on zero latitude. Well, that means you got to go over the world mountain. championship. And, yeah, um, yeah. And where is that this year? Ecuador. In Ecuador. Oh, that yeah. should be cool. Yeah, you know, and the majority of it is below. 10,000 feet and then there's one you know like one percent over you know, 5,000 meters but so it should be interesting mm-hmm. um did you did you race most of your career with the same people or did you have a a number of teammates you know i did race with um a number of teammates over the years but in the, but it was also a lot a way, of years you know you know, it was, you know, started with Team Dale and I went to Eco Internet and then on to Nike and so forth. And um, I guess once um, Michael and I got together, um, mm-hmm. when we were at Eco Internet, we stayed together through the end pretty much into Team Nike. Um, so I would say, you know, yeah, I did, I did kind of move along throughout the, my career and adventure racing over the course of a de- uh, decade of plus. I think it's 12 years now. But, um, you know, they're in the prime of it all, I think I could say, you know, it was a pretty consistent thing with Michael, myself, Ian, and either Pinal or Monique. So, yeah. So, you, I mean, you had the core. And, that, I mean, really, every team is like that. You have a core and... Sometimes you got to bring somebody in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So why? Yeah. Why did you quit adventure racing? Uh, you or know, take I, a break. Maybe I, we'll I, say. <laughs> why did I retire from it? I think I felt it was just. It was really. The writing was on the wall for me. You know, I was. Mm-hmm. I kind of achieved a lot of the big goals that, as I started to succeed, I. I strived for more and the yeah. sport had reached the pinnacle from a sponsorship and um, media, television media perspective, I think. Uh, and yeah. I'm not trying to downplay it right now by any means, but as we talked about earlier, you know, there was kind of a heyday, if you want to call it anything. And, and I was fortunate to be a part of that and successful during that. And so I looked at it like, okay, well, have I got any real true reason to stay out there and continue to compete at this sport or is there a lot of other things in life I'd like to do and, and you know I can't at all same time so I think I looked at it like okay maybe this is the right time to move on and, and go do some of these other things in life and enjoy life a little more without always having to have everything revolve around training and competition for the big events yeah yeah, so it's kind of been there, done that. Yeah, but, you know, as I always say, you know, never say never. Um, yeah. The yeah, right opportunity yeah. came out uh, uh, about, I would just throw my hat in the ring. I at least consider so, consider throwing my hat in the ring. 
and I think something yeah. you know that nature would be what we talked about earlier. You know, like Mark Burnett is to say, "Hey, we're yeah. bringing this back, and we want to have some of the old, um, old legends, if you want to call it that, <laughs> of the sports be a we part can, of it." Yeah, well, yeah, we'll have a legends race. That now, there's there's a TV show for you. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> you know, they'd have to educate the general public that didn't know of it before about it but it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't take long you know a year or so well that yeah so well that's what you do is you is you start the tv series with a whole series of flashbacks back to the old days of racing. <laughs> so see oh we got a million dollar idea there you go so and then some um yeah okay now here's something that's a little self-serving but it was always one of my favorite stories was you and Michael Wright went to Rogaine Worlds yeah. and won? Yeah. And is that like your first first Rogaine? That that was yes. So, what? And here's why I'm I'm bringing that up, and I'd like to hear a little bit about it. But um, we're putting on the World Rogaine Championships up here in South Dakota this year. Oh, it is. I think so. I did read about that yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. See, it, see, it's only like six hours from from Vail, you know. Tell me, tell me about, yeah, tell me about the one you guys went to, because you kind of just, I mean, all I remember is hearing about it, you guys going there and doing it and beating everybody, and I'm thinking, you know, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, no. honestly, we went um, on a kind of a whim. Um, but we're, we're, that was my guess really little or no preparation in, in doing so and we had no expectations of a of winning whatsoever you know we thought we could go down there maybe you know finish top 20 if we're really lucky maybe a top 10 or something like that because we didn't really have the experience in, in that sport you know that a lot of these international um participants and teams had so for us it was okay let's go down there and use it as a training event you know, 24 hours, you're on your feet for the majority of it, you're good map and compass training and skills. Um, you know, we have some endurance, you know, in that from, you know, background of adventure racing, but we didn't really have the experience that these other guys did when it came to the true yeah. skills with the map and compass and, and orienteering as it is a kind of a little bit different, fairly quite a bit different. You might say from your typical adventure race or navigational section, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But were you, were you guys just, you know, faster and more stick to itiveness, or I mean, you know, and and obviously good navigators, but I mean, is that just kind of like, hey, this is what we do, right? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple things that played into it. One, we literally didn't show up to the start um, when we could look at the maps and lay out our, our plan. Never had done one before, so we really didn't know how all the format and all that worked um, with, you know, the different ranges that you might reach out to to get the different points, the greater points, and then mapping out um, practical routes to, to navigate through uh, and achieve the highest, you know, point scores you could. Um, but yeah. the harder the, the higher the points, the harder or more difficult the the checkpoints, or in this case the um, control points, were to, to reach or to find. And so, um, you know, I think we we had one thing that I, in the end, when I look back, I think really played it into our advantage. But Michael had really bad blisters and sore feet building up through the middle of the night, and so we just said, well, let's just work our way into the um, hash house, which is kind of a, um, a resting point within the middle of the course and so you would go in and um, you could get food and get off your feet and you know food and drink and so forth and, and reassess what you wanted to do and that's exactly what we did we took Michael's feet up we had a little rest we had some food we didn't sleep or anything but we you know got off our feet we went back out and um, were pretty spot on throughout most of the whole event uh, we did have a few flip-ups, you know, but nothing major. And um, mm -hmm. so as the 
the night went on, we, we felt like we were doing pretty well, but never had any expectations that we'd be up there near the top of the heap. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I, I so, remember when we took off um, out of the start, as a matter of fact, you know, we, we, like I said, we didn't show up early to map out. Once the gun went off, we decided, well, we should go to the car. Uh, so we hiked in the direction of the car, and knowing there's some checkpoints off that way. Um, but got some resupplies to, you know, supplement what we had, or some additional supplies, I guess we should say. Two of them in our packs, and we heard people, you know, that were familiar with us from adventure racing sports, uh, you know, cheering us on, saying, you guys can do it, our money's on you, this sort of stuff. And like, <laughs> 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 so, don't go banking your check or your paycheck on us. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes when there's no no pressure, that's when the best things happen, right? Yeah, in that case it was. And the, one of the classic stories of all was Michael and I, after the race, we both had flights to get back home. We literally packed up mm. our stuff. I don't even think we showered or anything. We might have, uh, yeah, I think we just both got on the airplane <laughs> without showering. You know, did the old, uh, the wash class, wash cloth, um, mop up, so to speak, and put, put our stuff in the bags, go to the airport. And a, a day later, Michael calls me up and he says, so, um, you know, they were doing awards there later that day. And he says to me, so, yeah. so how do you think we did? I don't know, Michael, what? Did we break top 10? He goes, better. And I said, well, okay. Did we break top five? He says, better. I go, did we podium? He says, better. <laughs> <laughs> I go, well. Yeah. And anyway. I think we won by like one control point, which was like 40 points. And in the end, I think it was actually more than that. Michael did the math. And I think we ended up like 120 points up on uh, the next place team, something like that. Don't quote me, but I think they yeah. made, it, made a glitch in it. And Michael said we actually won by more, if I remember correctly. But anyway, it was a, it was a nice little um, accolade to put on the resume in my press. Yeah, well, hey, what's, you know, another world championship. It's you know, that's cool. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so then, so that you kind of spent a lot of years not racing very much. I mean, I know, you know, I, I don't want to think everybody think I'm a stalker or whatever, but you know, you see what you're doing and stuff, but so you won, what's the, the what's the ski race? Oh, and, the Crescent View to Aspen race? Yeah. Yeah. That's called did the Elk, Elk Mountain you, Grand Traverse. Yeah. Didn't you win that a couple of times, or? Um, it was five times, but I also lost yeah. five times. So. <laughs> yeah, that I see. I like that about you, and and see, that's my story. I always tell that this is one thing we have in common. I won a mountain bike world championship, but it was, but it was a masters twenty four hour world championship. Hey, that's but then I always tell people. Buddy. Well, it was cool, but then I always say the next year, two hours into the race, I was sitting beside the trail, bawling uncontrollably, and my race was over. You know, <laughs> so it, I mean, it, it's always good to, you know, it's good to win, but you should always sort of acknowledge that it doesn't always happen, right? Yeah, as much as we'd like yeah. to, it, it doesn't always happen. Yeah. But then you raced um, the BC race last year, right? Uh, I'm sorry. What did I? I didn't catch that. The the you raced the British the BC race last. Oh yeah, the um the uh, the Trans Rocky. Uh, yeah, the Trans Rocky mountain bike race. Yeah, yeah, British Columbia. That yeah. was awesome. Tobin and I yeah. dared back up for that. I um been invited for years by the race organizers to come up, and this is going to be the last year of the format they had, and um they were actually. The original organizers of that were the ones who were the original organizers of the World Cup and World Mountain Bike Championships. And so I'd known those guys for 20 plus years, almost 30 years. And so mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was really fun to go up and do the race and, and much less to race it with Colbin and, and race at the level we did. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, of course, watching that too, it looked like looked like you were having fun as as well as doing good. So that's always a bonus. Too. Yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. We were having fun and we did well. And uh, you know, I, I did know this, that you know after six or some odd days of racing, that my body was starting to 
feel the effects of it. My heart rate wouldn't get up like it uh, was early in the week, and I think that's part of just getting older and and having to accept the fact that you know, you know your body just doesn't yeah. quite you know perform at the same level it did you know, when we were younger and in, uh, in our prime. Yeah, well, we're all getting there, but we we don't want to admit it. So, um, the longer we can hold out, the better, right? Exactly. So, well, I've got a, I'm 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 not done with you yet, but if 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 you need to go, let me know, and we'll wrap this up. But um, yeah, I'm sorry about this background noise. I tried to find a better place to not have the microphone yeah. over our heads, but speakers, but. Um, it, it it's it's working out it's it's i don't want people to think this is too too much of a professional thing that i'm doing here so <laughs> it's good for us Not studio plus, yeah plus what i've discovered it in i'm going to say this i think this is really really interesting and when i listen to a really really interesting podcast that stuff doesn't matter to me so much so um <laughs> Why? Why did you get into the pack business? It's not like there's not a bunch out there. No pun intended. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, you know what? Oh God, I'm so smart. Yeah, I meant to say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it was basically came down to the fact that I had always been a tinker when it came to equipment. It didn't matter if it was bikes or skis or um, or packs or clothing or you name it, I was always a tinker. I always felt like if somebody made it, I could do it better. And there was always things that, um, you know, things that I felt needed to be improved in what I was using. And mm -hmm. when we worked with Mikey, we spent a lot of time, Golite and Solomon, et cetera, we spent a lot of time on R&D with the products. And a lot of the product time was spent on backpacking. So had a fair bit of experience in that from those years and said, you know what, hey, this might be a nice uh, little transition for me from racing to, you know, uh, I guess a profession or a, a business for me. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, this this is what I know for the pack. In fact, I'm going to post, I've been working on a review of mine because I've been wearing mine for two years. Uh-huh. And I figure I've got, I th think roughly got 2,400 hours wearing it. No kidding. And yeah, well, because I wear it every night when I go, when Chili and I go out, because mm -hmm. I've got it hooked up for her leash. So literally, if I'm out for an hour, you know, so every night, two or three hours, but I've lost one, one beaver tail off a pole. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, I mean, that's, well, and there's a little mouse chewing on it in one spot, but you know, it kind of sucks because it's like I can't get a new pack anymore. <laughs> this this well, one just we'll won't see, wear out. We'll see what we can do to help you out there, Randy. I've got uh, I'm actually working on some new stuff now, so um, you know upgrades yeah. and a couple different models. Sweet. So, uh, but for me, it's a bit of a, a process because I'm a one man show and um, yeah. to my own choice, obviously, but. Um, it's something that I'm definitely wanting to expand and keep uh, keep making you know better, nicer, more you know um, suitable products for the likes of yeah. us adventure racers and other just general outdoor enthusiasts. Yeah, well, I would I would say that at Worlds in Costa Rica, out there packs were by far the most most used they weren't the majority of the pack yeah but there were more outdoor out there packs than any other than solomon go light mac pack any in that i mean they were just you know i i put a i think i put an album up on my facebook page and there's i don't know i'll bet you there's 50 wow <laughs> so, wow I, well they were i mean they work and that's you know what everybody says well and, and to be yeah. frank with you they're you know, probably 99% of them were purchased, so which is a good thing. It was yeah, well, for me, you know. I mean, I'm a small company. I can't afford to just give everybody something, you know, out there. I'd love to be able to, but uh, that I feel is uh, going to help represent me. But um, 
know, it's like no you gotta you gotta sell the product in order to be able to be successful. So Well and I think that's what really shows that it is well done, is that yeah. People are spending their hard earned money. They got they certainly have a lot of choices. Well and I think the thanks and I think the AFT pack, uh and the later version of the MS-1, it's not a big change in the MS-1, which I'm working on changes for in MS-2 now. Um, but anyway, I think a lot of the uh, things that you'll find in the AF-2 are you know, nice improvements over the AF-1, and, and there's more durability and comfort there as well. So, so that's going to be, because it's pretty damn durable, and it's pretty damn comfortable. So. Well, that's impressive that you spent that many hours on that pack, and you a little, um, yeah. you know, issues with it, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, you know, and, it, and it's not all just, uh, you know, walking up and down the, the trails with the dog, you know. It, you know, was in Costa Rica with me and uh, New England, and so, you know, that's that's my pack. You know, the only, the only thing I do is when I fly somewhere is I try to pull all the knives out of the pockets and throw it on the plane and go. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So I'm probably about, um, about run out of time here, so I have to get ready to board this flight momentarily. Okay. Well, that's, then we, through all of this, everything worked out great. This has been really fun. So that you're, you're one of those guys that we may have to talk later because I don't think we've even touched the, the tip of your career. So... Well, let me uh, so. catch up with you again sometime, and hopefully you can edit this down to where it's something that uh, the listeners can, can appreciate. Um, I think they'll like it a lot. So, all right. So, have a, uh, well, let's keep in touch, Randy, and I'll, um, I'll get ready to forward my flight here. Okay. Well, go fast. Take chances. Thanks, Mike, and we'll talk to you. Okay, Randy. Take care, buddy. All right.
take you to a place where a tiger wouldn't eat your face. You can both kick back, you could give him a pat. He's not a killer, just a friendly cat. Sleep.